Let's turn to John's Gospel, chapter number 13, this morning. Gospel of John, chapter number 13. We're just going to read the first verse. John 13, verse number 1. It says, Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. Be preaching this morning on the love of Christ. J.C. Ryle said the passage we have now read begins one of the five or one of the most interesting portions of John's gospel for five consecutive chapters we find the evangelist recording matters which are not mentioned in Matthew, Mark or Luke and we can never be thankful enough that the Holy Spirit calls them to be written for our learning in every age the contents of these past chapters have been justly regarded as the most precious parts of the Bible they've been food and drink and strength and comfort for all true hearted Christians and a let us approach them with particular reverence. The place whereon we stand is holy ground. James Boyce also says in his commentary that nowhere else in the Bible does a child of God feel like we are walking to more holy ground. For here, more than any other portion of Scripture, you hear the voice of Jesus leading us into a greater understanding of this new place before the Father and consequently of his new position in the world. These chapters contain teachings about heaven, the new commandment, the personal work of the Spirit, the mutual union with Christ, with the disciples and the disciples with Christ. This first 11 chapters of the Gospel of John deal with the first three years or so of Jesus' ministry. And starting with verse chapter 13, the rest of the book, it's all the last week. It's uh, dealing with um, just about a week's worth of time in half the book of the Gospel of John. And this beloved portion of Scripture starts, sort of it transitions, because now it says that Jesus, having loved his own, he loved them then, and he loves them to the end. So John starts this section with the love of Christ. Christ had loved them to this point, he loves them now, and he's going to keep loving them all the way to the end. That the gospel, the, the beloved, the one, the disciple to whom Jesus loved, which is how John refers to himself, the one people call the apostle of love, um, was so because of the love of Christ. He wasn't a loving person naturally, but it was the love of Christ that made John the apostle of love. And this morning we are going to consider the love of Christ. So we're now at the feast of the Passover, just before uh, the crucifixion. This is an important time for the Jews. The Jews had traveled all over to be here in Jerusalem for their feast, for the sacrifice. Jerusalem was full of worshipers. It was, it was an important festival because it was an important truth. It was established when God delivered Israel out of Egyptian bondage and they'd take the lamb, a lamb for a house, and they would slaughter the lamb. They would take the lamb and put it on the doorpost. Or, you know, that's what they did in, the, in Egypt. And, and, they, and whenever the lamb or whenever the angel passed over there in Egypt, wherever there was blood on the house, whoever was under the blood was safe from the wrath of God. 
And so every year the lambs were sacrificed. Every year the blood was spilt. Every year they, they rid their homes of leaven. They ate the Passover feast. They re- told the story over and over how God had redeemed Israel, saved Israel through the sacrificial um, sa- the sacrifice of the lamb. And now, here at the Passover week, while everyone's eyes and attention were upon these animals, the Lamb of God that had come to take away the sin of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ, is among them. This will be the last really legitimate Passover that will ever be celebrated because Christ is fulfilling that sacrifice um, this week. The hour had come, it says. Before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that the hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father. Jesus knew the hour had come. He knew what he was about to do. In fact, he, he talks about it as he later on in the chapter when he washes the disciples' feet. Jesus knew what was about to happen. He came to this world to die for his people. He came to seek and save that which was lost. His name is Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. He had come to give his life a ransom for many. And he knew that his hour had come. The time appointed had come for him to lay down his life for his friends. He had told his disciples many times the manner in which he should die. He told Nicodemus that he was going to have to be lifted, the Son of Man would have to be lifted up, and all who would look upon him would be saved. He told them that the, the, his tabernacle, would, or his temple would be destroyed in three days. He would build it back. The, speaking of his death, burial, and resurrection, he knew what he was going to suffer. And now the hour had come. He knew the betrayer set there before him. He knew that he would leave this world and return to the Father. He came to offer himself the Lamb of God. It's what John called him to take away the sin of the world. He came into this world knowing he would die for sinners, die for us, knowing he would have to drink the cup the Father would give him. Knowing all these things, Jesus meets with his disciples. What would you do if the doctor told you you had a week to live? Some people will go and say, well, I want to knock some things off my bucket list. Or, um, you know, some people go to Las Vegas. Some people go and, and, and just sin as much as they could before they could die. Jesus meets with his disciples. These, these men whom he had preached with and ministered with and, and taught, that's, that's who he was with. Jesus spent the last hours with his disciples, praying with them, washing their feet, instructing them, comforting them, teaching them. The hour of his betrayal was at hand. And here he sits with his betrayer. The hour of his suffering was upon him, and he's, he's comforting his disciples in chapter 14 as he teaches them about heaven. He prays with them. He prays for them. He instructs them. 
He helps them. And as he sits there with them, the hour of Gethsemane is just a few hours away, I believe. And, and here, he is with his disciples and his thoughts are with them. And his concern is, is, is with them, showing his love towards them. John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, moved and carried by the Holy Spirit, gives us the context here for everything else that happens. So as this is sort of a new transition in the Gospel of John, he, he sets it up uh, with the context that we, everything that we read after this, I think we, can, we know that it was because he loved his people. He suffered because he loved his people. He, he, he laid down his life because he loved his people. This was, first of all, an amazing love. The love of Christ is a, an amazing love. It's a real love. Loving us and human beings often is nothing more than emotion. It's often fickle. It changes with the seasons. Crystal was telling me um, she noticed that in the first snow we had there's all kinds of pictures people were posting. They were sleigh riding and building snowmen and having a big time out in the snow. And then, you know, the next, and so on and so on. She said she didn't see hardly anybody doing that yesterday. And, and she said people were just tired of the snow. <laughs> you know, loved it when it first came, but now that it's in the middle of March, we're ready for flowers and, and springtime, right? We're just ready for it to be over with. So our loves change, don't they? We love the, the coming warm weather and then... By middle of August, we'll, we'll be ready for fall. So, oh, I love the cool weather. You know, we, our, our loves change. They're fickle. Sometimes we love things that we shouldn't. Sometimes we love things that are bad for us. We love things today and hate them tomorrow. By nature, we love people when they are lovely to us. Be hard to sit there and eat. With Judas, wouldn't it? We'd, we love people who love us. It'd be hard to, to even be around Judas. Um, but, but that's the way we are. You know, even lost people are good and kind to the people who treat them well. That's just the way that we are. We love people who are related to us. That's a natural affection. That's not, I mean, I'm not even saying it's a bad thing. It's just just the way that it is. We love our, our family, we love our children, we love our parents, and so forth. And it's a natural affection. Whenever the Lord saves us, we have love for Christ, and we have love for His Word, we have love for His people, we have love for His church, and, and that's a real true love because we're, we love the things that Christ loves, and we're united with Christ, and so we have new loves and new affections. But this love that Christ has is not like our love in that it is fickle and then it changes and that there's holes in it and, and that there's um, just a, a natural type of affection. His love we don't define by songs and movies, and, but his love is the fulfilling of the law. It's a, it's a perfect love, a, a, an amazing love. John says, here's love, to paraphrase First uh, John 4.10, not that we love God, but that He loved us. You want to talk about love? This is what love is. 
that he laid down his life for us, that his son was the propitiation for our sins. He said, that's love. That Jesus looked upon his disciples and knew that without his sacrificial death, they would spend an eternity in hell. And so he, he takes their place. That, that is the amazing love of Christ. It's amazing that he should love us at all. Christ's love is amazing, but it is amazing that he should love us at all. There is a, no motive or nothing in us that God should love. That would cause God to love us. So, Romans 3 tells us, verses 9 through 19, that from the top of our head to the bottom of our feet, we are corrupted. That, that we are sinners through and through. That because of the fall of Adam, our human nature, from head to toe, inside and outside, has been corrupted and by sin. There's not a part of you that hasn't been corrupted by sin. Inside and out, we are, we are sinners. And because we are sinners, we sin. And sin is the breaking of God's law, the thing that God hates. And here we are by nature, enmity, enemies of God. So God, so Jesus doesn't say, wow, what a great group of people here. But looking upon us from the standpoint of holiness, there, there is nothing in us where God says, okay, I'll take that one and that one because these people are, are loving people and I'll take those over there because they are holy and these over here because they're giving. No, the Lord, um, as the psalm poetically describes, looked, looked upon the, the, the whole world to see if he could find a righteous and there was none. None that were righteous. No, not one. There's no way that we can do what's required of us, let alone excel. If you think about it that way, what is required of us to keep the law? That's just the bottom line. The least that we're supposed to do is keep the law. Let alone we excel in the things of God. And abound in the things of God. The standard is don't be a criminal against the law of God. And we, we don't want to even meet that standard. In nature, we're made lower than the angels. We're weaker, less majestic in power and beauty. We're made of dirt. And when we die, we turn back to it. Is it any wonder that God should love us at all? I saw something, I, I don't know if it's true or not, where instead of caskets there, they'll plant you along with the tree. And so as your body decays, the tree, you become part of the tree or, or some such thing as that. And, uh, but, I mean, that's what we are. We're, we're flesh, we're dirt. When we die, we just turn right back to the, the dust. That's what we are. It's amazing that he should love us at all. It's amazing that God should pay attention to us at all. It's amazing that he would love sinners at all. 
The Pharisees and scribes wondered at the fact that Jesus loved sinners. They marveled at it. And they, in Luke 15, they, uh, they were condemning Jesus. Because there he was eating with, with sinners. So it's undignified for the Son of God to be sitting here eating with these, these publicans, these, these harlots, and so forth. It's unbecoming one of, a, one of our position. It's unbecoming. It's not right that someone who says that he is the Son of God to be sitting down with these people. Well, I'm one of those people. I'm one of those sinners. The scribes and the Pharisees were too. They just didn't realize it. But I'm one of those people to where it is indeed unbecoming that a holy, righteous man would sit with me and to eat with me and to fellowship with me. But... But it is amazing, the amazing love of God that the, the Son descended from upon high from glory to be made flesh and to dwell with sinners and to eat with them and to save them and to cleanse them and to give them faith. To come to die for sinners who broke His commandments and to save and to love those who did not love Him. To redeem sinners who were at war against Him. And to come for them. Oh, what amazing love that he should love sinners at all. It's amazing that he should love them freely. Um, In the book of Hosea, the Old Testament, uh, minor prophet Hosea, chapter 14, verse number 4. Listen to what it says here. Well, I'll read the first two verses in verse 4. O Israel, return unto the Lord thy God, for thou hast fallen by thine iniquity. Take with you words, and turn to the Lord, and say unto him, Take away all iniquity, and receive us graciously, so we will render the calves of our lips. Then it says in verse 4, I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely, for my anger is turned away from him. It's an amazing love that the Lord loves us freely. Not that the Lord loves us because we do something for Him, or that the Lord loves us because we are worth loving, but He freely loves us. He is impelled to love us by His own essential uh, graciousness. Not that He is impelled to love us because of what we are, but because of his, as Barnes called it, his essential bountifulness, his exceeding greatness of his goodness. He loves us. He went on to say that he loves us freely and that he freely became man. And having become man, freely shed his blood for the remission of our sins and freely forgave us our sins. He loves us freely and that he gives us grace according to his good pleasure to become pleasing unto him and causing good in us. He loves us freely and rewarding infinitely the good which we have done from him. And more manifestly here he speaketh of the person, the Savior himself, promising his own coming 
to the salvation of penitence with sweetly sounding promises with sweetness full of grace. He loves us freely and gives us freely. He saves us freely. What an amazing love. An amazing love that he has. So it's an amazing love of Christ. It's an eternal love. It's eternal that, first of all, it comes from himself. God is love, 1 John 4.16 says. He is love. He was love before you were born. He was love before this world was created. In eternity past, God was love. And there was the inner Trinitarian love. The Father loved the Son. The Son loved the Spirit. The Spirit loved the Son and, and so forth. That there's a love amongst themselves. And, and God has an eternal, unending love. We love Him because He first loved us. When did He love us? The Bible tells us He loves us in eternity, before the foundation of the world. The Bible talks about election, that, that, that it was because He loves us. He loves us. Not because of what we have done for Him but because He has chosen to love us. It's an everlasting love. It's a love that um, didn't have a beginning in, in the sense that God decided one day... Or it, it, It's an everlasting love in the sense that God didn't look at you and decide to love you in time. And what I mean by that is it's not that you were bad and then all of a sudden you love God and then God starts loving you. that he loved before he created this world. So in Jeremiah 31, 3, it says, The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore with loving kindness have I drawn thee. An everlasting love. So the Son loved us in eternity past, as the Father chose us in love in eternity past and gave us to the Son, the Son voluntarily willed to come and save us. So the, it was an everlasting love that He loved us before the foundation of the world. The Son loved us in the world. He loves us now. That's what the, our text says, that He loved them in the world. So as the Son came into the world, He was obedient to the Father whom He loved and obeyed for us, and Jesus kept the law for us, and he loved us in his suffering. The Son loves us now, as he sits at the right hand of the Father. Our great high priest loves us. He loves us as we are in the world. He loves us when we struggle. He loves us when we're weak. He loves us when we're perplexed and confused about what's going on. He loves us in good times and in bad times. The Son loves us now. And the Son will love us in the future. An everlasting love doesn't end. He loves us in the ages to come. It's a faithful love. It's a love that will keep us in his, in his, by His power, He will keep us in His love. He doesn't love us in eternity past and, cho and choose us to save us and then die for us and then give us life and then say, but now I'm going to leave it all up to you and if you turn astray, or if you don't try hard enough, 
then I'm going to abandon you from my love and cut you off from my love and then, and then uh, leave you. No, it's an everlasting love. A love that began in eternity past and that will continue on um, throughout all eternity. It's a faithful love. His love is a faithful love. We're unfaithful. We're not faithful like we ought to be. But Christ is faithful to us. We don't love like we ought to love, but he loves us. His love is true. It doesn't waver. It doesn't lessen over time. It doesn't diminish. It doesn't grow weaker if you grow weaker. The Lord doesn't look upon one who is young and strong and and beautiful and full of uh, passion for him and able to serve him and his church and and do many great things. And then as you grow older and you can't do as much or as you get sick and you you lie on your your bed, he doesn't say, well, these people can't glorify me like they used to. Um, I need to go and find somebody else and, and abandon you in your last hours. It's a perfect, faithful love. That he doesn't love us more when we're strong and less than when we're weak. But he loves us with the same amazing, perfect love when we're when we are strong as when we're weak. As when we're healthier as when we're sick. It is a faithful love. It is a true love. An everlasting love. It's also a a perfect love. There's no fault in Jesus' love. Our love, like I said, can be fickle. It can be up and down. We can love people who love us and then don't love people who who are mean to us and so forth. But Jesus' love is in perfect order. It's a patient love. You can't wear God out with your your sinfulness. It's it's a long-suffering love. People can try our patience, right? They can, they can push our buttons and, and we, can, we can get to a point and say, well, I've had just about all I can take. I can't, you know, and, and can wear us out. But God's love is a patient, long-suffering love. He's patient with our slow progress. You read through the gospel accounts and how... The Bible shows us how slow the disciples were. Now, these were men that were with him all the time. And they were slow to grab onto what he was saying. They'd seen him do a miracle, and then just hours later were faithless. They'd hear him talk and then not get the point, and he would have to go back and explain himself. But you never saw Jesus angry at his disciples for not understanding. He would correct them. He would say that they were of weak faith. But, but his love for them never did diminish. He never did say, you guys are just not going to get it. I've had it. I'm going to go and find somebody else. You guys can still be in the church, but I'm going to find 12 new guys to take your place because you're obviously just not going to get it. He was patient. His love was patient. 
He's patient with us in our slow progress. He's patient with us in our backsliding. He's patient with us when our hearts are slow to, to, to follow him. It's a faithfulness that you can't shake, a faithful love that you can't get away from. It's one that you cannot measure, the height or the, the depth or the width, the breadth. It's the unsearchable riches of the love of Christ. It's immutable. It can't be altered. It can't be changed. It's an unchanging, perfect, holy, faithful love. It's a knowing love. It's a knowing love. He knew his people. I you know some will, will say, well, Jesus loves everybody. Jesus died for his people. He came to save his people. This is a love that, that he knew who his disciples were. And he loved them. But the other side of that is he knew who they were. So you can look at it from that perspective that he knew his people that he died for, but, but he knew who they were. He knew that Peter was going to forsake him. He knew that Thomas was going to doubt him. He knew that the others would run and hide. He knew their weakness. He knew their pettiness. He knew that while he would take that cup in the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter, James, and John would fall asleep. He knew they would bicker. He knew that even after the resurrection, Peter would have the attitude, yeah, but what about John? What's John going to do? If I have to, what's John going to have to do? He knew them. And he loved them. It's also a, a knowable love. Um, Paul prayed that the, the Ephesians would know this love in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 18 and 19. John knew this love and was motivated by this love. The, the, uh, the Apostle John, Apostle Paul knew this love. And Ephesians 3.14 says, For this cause I bow my knee unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, So this is what I pray because according to the eternal purpose which he purchased in Christ, um, he desired that they faint, he faint not. And he said, I pray for you. And one of the things he prayed for in verse 18 is that we may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. To know the breadth of his love and the length of his love and the depth of his love and the height of his love, to know this love which passes all knowledge. You can know the love of God experientially, meaning that you here who believe know the love of Christ. You've experienced the love of Christ. You can know the love of Christ by faith. You can know the love of Christ by the word. And yet it's a love that passes knowledge. Meaning that we can never get to the end of it. We can climb the heights of the knowledge of the love of Christ our entire life and we'll never get to the top. And we can walk the length 
of the love of Christ and we can never get to the end. And no matter the, the great heights or the de- low depths of our lives, wherever we're at, we will never be able to find these unsearchable riches of Christ. So we can know it, but His love is so great and it's so expansive that we can, we'll always be learning more and seeing more of the love of Christ. The sacrificial love. Revelations 1, Revelation 1, verse 5 says, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us, and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, and to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So John says, here's a love that was displayed that he washed us from our sins in his own blood. He laid down his life for us. He died for us. His blood flowed from his body for us. His heart stopped beating for us. He, he died for us. That we might have the forgiveness of sins. That we might be made kings and priests unto God. That we might glory, we might glorify Him um, in, in heaven and be with Him for all eternity. He did this because He loved us. That's what He'll tell His disciples. Um, later on, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. Jesus said, you're my friends. And there's no greater love that a man has than he can lay down his life for his friends. That he'd take their place. That he'd substitute himself for them. And Jesus told his disciples, I'm about to do that for you. And dear child of God, he did that for you. He laid, he laid down his life for his friends. Those he loved. John tells us in our text that he loved his own. Boyce said, God has done some things for all men. Which is true, he has done some things for all men. Some men have long lives and lots of money and big families and and great health. All these things come from God. And so God in his his, uh, goodness towards all all of his creatures shows goodness towards them. But on the other hand, God has done all things for some men. For his people, he's done all things. He's provided us life. He's forgiven us of our sins. He's justified us. He's given us the righteousness of Christ. He's given us an inheritance that is undefiled and fadeth not out of the way. He, he adopts us into his family. He does this and he, because he loves his own. That's what John said, that he, that he loved his own, which were in the world. His own that he died for, that he purchased, 
his own that his fa the Father had given him. We are that purchased possession. These are mine. And Jesus looked at his disciples and said, you are mine. The Father has given you. You are my sheep. You are my friends. And I'm going to, to redeem you with my own precious blood. He loved them that are in the world. Now, it's interesting, if you read these next chapters, especially chapter 17, and just look for the word world, world, you'll find that over and over and over again. The world hates them because they first hated Christ. The world... We are in the world, but not of the world. In the world, we'll be hated because the world hates Christ. But it says here that he loved his own, which were in the world. Now, Jesus knows where we're at. He knows where we're at. He knows we're in the world. He knows... We're in a world full of temptations. He knows we're in a world full of sickness. He knows we're in a world where the curse has ruined everything, where there's wars and rumors of wars. He knows we're in a world where there's famines and where there's sicknesses and where there's, there's tribulation and there's, there's problems. He loves his own which were in the world. He loves Abraham, who is with the Father. He loves David, who is now in glory. He loves those who have died and gone on and now uh, just men made perfect in the presence of the Lord. But he loves those who are still in the world, still in the flesh, who still fall short, who are still fighting temptation, who still have little faith, who still sin and stumble and bicker and are slow in progress, and slow in learning. Jesus loved those who were in the world, these frightful disciples, these stiff-necked men, these men who would go and run and hide, and some of them would go back to fishing um, after Jesus died and just so quickly give up. He loves those here that wouldn't believe him when they first saw him. Thomas didn't believe him when he saw, heard the report. The disciples didn't believe him on the road to Emmaus. These who were in the world who fought over who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom, those who were the sons of thunder who wanted to call down fire from heaven to, to, to destroy a whole city of people because they wouldn't hear. We love those in the world. All of this and all the things that we struggle with does not take away from the love of Christ. It didn't lessen the love of Christ. Our fears don't lessen his love. Our doubts, our faithlessness, our performance, nothing takes away from the love of Christ. And this should be an encouragement for us to know that Jesus loves us now. Rick Phillips said, you turn to Jesus with your joys and your sorrows and your wants and your needs. He who loved you to the very end on the cross has promised to love you to the very end. 
If you don't realize this, then it's no wonder that you struggle with spiritual weakness, that you're, you feel dry and distant from the Lord, that, you've, that you fear to return to Christ when you fall into sin. Yet His nail-scarred hands are held out to you even now, marked with eternal emblems of a sin-conquering love. There is no one more devoted to your good or sympathetic to your plight or interested in your heart than Jesus Christ who loves you to the end. He loves you in the world. He loves you now and he loves you to the end. Now that could mean he loved us to the uttermost, which is true, a perfect, unending love. It could also, what I refer, I think it means is that he, he loved to the end of his work. And he loves us to the end of time. But Jesus didn't get here to the end and say, and abandon them. And also, he doesn't get to our end and abandon us. He loves to the end. From the beginning to the end, to the end of time. Jesus didn't lose one sheep the Father gave him. He's faithful. He's the faithful shepherd that protected his men to the end. He guided them. Now think about this, that the Lord didn't come that very first day and say, Peter, follow me because you're going to be, you're going to, you're going to die a terrible death by following me. And he didn't come and he didn't give them a bunch of theology on the very first day, but he taught them, didn't he? Slowly and surely they progressed. He gave them um, different tasks to do at different times. He sent them out two by two at the beginning for a couple days and they came back and he taught them and he showed them and he brought them along. He was patient with them. He protected them. He kept them. He didn't hide anything from them, but he, he taught them when they were ready to go on to the next thing as a faithful shepherd. He guided them to the end. He protected them. He led them along patiently. He fed them. He strengthened them progressively. He taught them as they could handle it. He loved them to the end. He kept them as a faithful shepherd. He did not abandon them. And he, even here in these last hours, he did not abandon them. He was with them. And likewise now, Jesus is a faithful shepherd to you. He will not abandon you. He will love you to the end. He will love you through sickness and, and he will love you in death. He loves you uh, with an everlasting, perfect, faithful love. Not depending on what you do for him. His love will not lessen. And what this should do is should motivate you. Not to earn his love, but for someone to love you like this. With, with, some, with such a perfect love. Well, we'd have to have, like Thomas uh, Watson said, we'd have to have hearts of rocks for this kind of love not to affect us. He said the infinite love that Christ was made flesh, that he came from heaven to earth, that he came for those who had defaced his image, abused his love, rebelled against him, he came in poverty. He was born in the feeding trough. Cobwebs for his curtains and beasts were his companions. Why? That he might take on our sins and appease God's wrath for us and bring us into his kingdom. He was born of a virgin that we might be born of God. He took our flesh that we might have his spirit. He laid in that feeding trough that we might lie in paradise. He came down from heaven that we might go up from heaven. And why? Because he loved us. 
And he calls us to rest in him. And to rest in his love. And rest in his forgiveness. To come and to be unburdened. To come and be saved. And what a boundless love. That he came to love his own in the world. And love us unto the end. And I, I hope you know this love. I hope you know more of this love and are strengthened by knowing how much Christ loves you.